Hello. I don't really have a clever intro for this week, but after a short hiatus for a week, we are back. I'm Charlie. And I'm Corey. And this week, uh, as we said, some things got changed. Last week, we had to do a rerun from one of our previous endeavors on the Share podcast. But this week, we're back and we're discussing another diva, Lady Gaga and her fifth studio album, fourth technically, but depends on if you want to count an EP or not, which I do, but that's beside the point. We're discussing her album, Joanne, today. And uh, yes, I picked this album. This is a nostalgia point for me, so I'm very happy to have revisited it, because even though it is a nostalgia point, it's also one that sometimes gets lost in the shuffle that is Lady Gaga. So I'm happy to revisit this chapter of her career. That's a perfect way of putting it, because for me, that was exactly where I felt this album fell away from my ears. You know, like I had never listened to this album before, but I had heard the Tony Bennett stuff. I was an active listener with her or so I thought throughout. So, yeah, this one I feel like did get lost in the shuffle there little bit but it's also an important album too it's kind of two things at once which is why I think it's so interesting to discuss because you can make a case for it being a flop and disappointment or you can make a case for it being a huge success it's an interesting uh, point to think about I believe and uh, for some background going to first start with the general Lady Gaga background so really the genesis of Joanne Kind of goes back to 2013, actually, and this album came in 2016, but in 2013, Lady Gaga released Art Pop, which was her fourth album. I count the Fame Monster EP as an album because it's so significant and had three huge hits on it, so I think of that as a separate album. That's just me, but anyway, Art Pop came out, and... uh, it was not as big of a success as Gaga was used to. It sold less than half of the preceding album, Born This Way. And uh, at the time, a lot of people were reading her as pretentious for going on about art pop. Talked about how she was high art. And uh, this just kind of turned a lot of people off. And uh, people were, at that point, really getting their shock pop music from Miley Cyrus at that point in time, because at the same time, she was in her twerking era at this point, and people wanted that instead. I didn't necessarily agree with that, but Art Pop's a a divisive album to this day. It definitely has its fans and defenders, but I think it's her weakest album. I'm not going to lie. It has some great songs on it, but it also has some clunkers. So... There's that. That's got to be tough on the mind. That point where you reach where you're like, ooh, you know, maybe I'm not hitting that younger demographic or that shock demographic the way I used to. And you have to take a look at yourself. Uh, That's got to be a wild place to be as an artist. Yes. And interestingly, Gaga, you could say, kind of put Madonna in that position at a point in time. But we're past that point now for Lady Gaga. So anyway, a year after Art Pop, Lady Gaga released her jazz album with Tony Bennett, Cheek to Cheek, and did it sell as much as her pop records? No, it didn't have hits on the radio, but that wasn't the point because it was a jazz standards album with Tony Bennett. But overall, it was well-received. 
and introduce her to a new audience, certainly, because not all the Tony Bennett fans are going to be listening to Poker Face. <laughs> this is true. This is true. But all the other fans who didn't buy the, the Tony Bennett album, shame on them, because they should have. <laughs> yeah, and admittedly, not all the pop Lady Gaga fans bought Tony Bennett and listened to it, but... <laughs> Overall, it was well-received and it did well for her and probably was the first step in kind of uh, rehabilitating her image after Art Pop because I think she did lose a lot of people with it in its press cycle. And uh, then we get to Joanne, which I think was kind of the next step in this whole rehabilitation of the image because she decided she was going to strip down like musically and not, and in her image too, she wasn't going to wear crazy outfits for this album. She was going to do a rootsier sound. And uh, would it win fans back? Would it appeal to a new crowd? To be determined, but she was ready to do it. And uh, she also, uh, we'll get into the songs more, but it had some familial significance for her, but we're not quite there yet. We'll get into that. It's at this point that I want to discuss where I was with Lady Gaga at this point, because this is an interesting thing for me. So um, when Lady Gaga first started, I remember hearing her name. I hadn't heard her songs, but I thought, who the hell is Lady Gaga? Like, I just thought this is an odd name. The first photo I saw of her was her performing paparazzi on the VMAs, uh, covered in blood. And I thought, okay, what is this? And I looked her up and honestly, I was not a fan. I dedicated my time to hating Lady Gaga because I thought she's not that great. There's better pop stars. She's weird uh, and not original. And I hated her and made it my mission to hate her. I don't currently make it my mission to hate any artists like that. That's way too time consuming and energy consuming. But I was on that train for a bit, but I'm not going to lie. During the Born This Way era, some of the singles that were hits piqued my interest. And actually, so did the Art Pop singles. And I thought, maybe she'll win me over with Art Pop. Then I heard the whole album and she did not. But... <laughs> With Joanne, I was once again intrigued. I was like, I wonder if she'll do it this time. And actually, interestingly, on this Departure album was the time that she did it for me. This was the album that actually made me a fan. It's, it's so interesting, too, because going into Joanne, she was quoted on saying that she had started to doubt herself as an artist um, and almost or was on the verge of quitting music. Um, you know, she had just left her longtime original manager and was with a new management company, and she wasn't sure about herself. So for her to really find herself or look to herself and you to find her at the same time, that's a that's a super cool way to find a musician. Because for me, listening to this album, this is I used to always think, or even early listening to her, I'd be like, man, she's so deep, but you know, like she's really hitting it. I feel the high art concepts. You guys are, are focusing too much on the meat suit and this and that, and that she's got you guys. I'm for anybody who's never heard me say it. I'm a huge wrestling fan. I love the pomp and circumstance of the dance. I love 
the catching of the listener slash watcher's eye. And I have respect for the people that and the artists that can do that and not break that fourth wall because it's it's hard. You know, villain, hero, regardless, that kayfabe is what they call it in the wrestling world. Um, but to not break character outside is it's a lot of work. And I always respected her for that. So so early listening for me, it was it was all about that. Coming into this one, it's neat to hear her get really deep. All that old stuff that I thought was deep and whatnot. This is a very introspective album for her. And and I, I love it. Yeah, and here I really felt more than anything she was influenced by the singer-songwriter genre on this album. And that's interesting for me because about the year before that and into this time was really when I started exploring some of the singer-songwriters of the 70s. Of course, my intro to that was definitely Stevie Nicks and Fleetwood Mac, the Eagles, but it had gone deeper. At this point, I had discovered Joni Mitchell, for one, and... Later on, I go on to discover more of those fantastic artists, and I still am because there's so much to explore there, and I haven't heard everything from all of them yet because there's just so much. But that's a different topic, and we will discuss those wonderful singer-songwriters at some point. Yeah, but knowing you, this is it's this is crazy, Charlie. This is so many levels as far as like how much I know and we know that you love Lady Gaga or love her music to know that this is when you found her. And this was when you were searching Americana and loving that too. uh, these these singer songwriters. And there's a for me, there's a lot of that on this album. It, It makes a lot of sense. It's cool. I didn't realize that this was your your gateway into your love of Lady Gaga, and that's neat, because I know that you you hold her up there. That's cool. Yeah, I'm, She almost cracked top five baby mamas after I listened to this album. I'm not going to oh. lie. I, I, this, this is real. This is real. She might be creeping yeah. up there. This It was a good listen. So <laughs> in the time you've known me, she also put out Chromatica, which really, true, true. that's my shit right there. But we'll discuss <laughs> Chromatica one day. We definitely will, because... Oh my goodness, but anyway, back to Joanne. (laughs) So she put out this new album and it was released and naturally because it was Lady Gaga, there was anticipation and it debuted at number one, of course, because she's a big enough artist that she will debut at number one. And it was so funny in her documentary that came out about a year after this album, Gaga by Patu, there's literally a scene of her going to Walmart to buy her album. There you go. Which, <laughs> I mean, I have no doubt they played that up for the cameras, but still, it's like she's going in and making sure people see that Joanne is a thing. That's so great. So, and the overall reception, it was naturally a bit mixed. Not everybody got it. Not everybody loved it. People felt this isn't the real her. We want the old Gaga back. But this era also had plenty of triumphs for her, most notably her fantastic halftime show at Super Bowl 51 in 2017. That was a part of this era, and it showcased Gaga as an overall entertainer i think and someone beyond just album and single sales and uh, that's where i'm going to get and how we can look into this album in different ways because on one hand at the time 
this was her least successful album numbers wise. It didn't sell as much as the others. The hits weren't as big. Uh, there was only one real hit. The previous albums have had more than that. However, she performed this fantastic halftime show that everybody loved, it seemed, went on a sold out tour and kind of changed the scene because a lot of pop singers after Joanne kind of went to this rootsier look and sound. People like Miley Cyrus, Kesha, even Justin Timberlake with Man of the Woods. You could argue that was all influenced by Joanne. Woo, that's real. And it has a little scary turn if you want to talk about pop music being controlled a little bit of the way it goes, because I thought about that a lot when I was listening to this album, like, man, she did Super Bowl. Before I go on that thought, what on this album was in that Super Bowl halftime performance? Million? Million reasons. Okay. So I feel like she had this crushing album that nobody knew about. And then Super Bowl happened and boom, here you go. And everybody starts to mimic. But I also can see on a, you know what? I won't use the word scary. On a brilliant money-making and, and entrepreneurial sense, I feel like they had that bullet loaded. So they knew when she was going to do, or they hoped and, and strategized when she was going to do that Super Bowl and million went off, off there, those people were going to double back around, you know? And they did. And they but did. What's funny is none of those albums were as successful as Joanne. Heard. Still. Heard. I mean, yeah. Man of the Woods was definitely a flop, but. Yeah. I like that album. Oh. <laughs> but they uh, have not, to be... num number wise, I mean, yeah, but I have nostalgia mean, on that album, but still. <laughs> I mean, Miley's Younger Now, I know, definitely flopped. That was no bangers number wise. And. Uh, Kesha's a whole different can of worms that we're not going right. to dive into today, but... No, thank and, you. Oh, I forgot to mention, even Kylie Minogue, an older pop star, did a country-influenced album in 2018 with Golden, and just somewhat mixed results again, but we can't really compare her U.S. success to Gaga because she's not that big of a deal in the U.S., but she's been around for years and is pop royalty in Europe and Australia. But anyway. Real quick, speaking of different nationalities, and maybe you have a better uh, look on it because I couldn't really figure it out. Why were her French numbers so much better as far as charting uh, for, for this than I, the the U.S. counterpart, or is there a reason? There might not be. A, I just was there a hidden Gaga secret somewhere that I didn't know about, as far as the French connection there, or? I mean, I know this must have taken off in Europe before, because I actually in January of 2017 I did a winter term study abroad in Italy, Heard. and. I actually remember hearing Million Reasons in Italy. It would play in public, and that was before the Super Bowl, before it took off in the U.S. And it topped French charts, Million Reasons, right? Yeah. I, I, okay. I, I just didn't understand why. I mean, great song. I just didn't know if there was a, a background uh, secret on that. I don't know. I think it just happened to take off in Europe before it did because there it was already a hit by that point 
the U.S. had pretty much forgotten about the song for the time being, but fortunately not for much longer. But anyway, enough of the preamble. I feel like we've given a lot of background and I have my own personal background I wanted to get into. Nice. But um, yeah, with that being said, I kind of really want to get into this Joanne album, really. Yeah, let's... Because there's so much to be said. It's tough to do the preamble on this one because it's it's all the way throughout the album. You know what I'm saying? Um, there's there's definitely going to be some neat parts to touch in here. Keep that question in mind, everybody, throughout the listen. Uh, you know, it could be taken as a flop. It could be taken as a golden nugget. And there there's an argument on both. Yes, there is. So with that being said, I'm ready to dive on into this little nugget of an album, Joanne. This album opens with a song called Diamond Heart. This is an autobiographical opener. She talks about her days as a go-go dancer in New York City. And she's saying, I might not be flawless, but I got a diamond heart. And uh, man, what an opener. She comes right out of the gate. I mean, this is is like the best... 2010 Springsteen song that Springsteen didn't record. This reminds me so much of him. And I'm not his biggest fan in the world, but in a good way, this one really gives me that vibe. And uh, it immediately tells you we're in for a different journey because, I mean, the previous album openers were these electro dance pop songs. I mean, the last one was Aura, which... It has elements of a murder ballad. Uh, And then we get this, Diamond Heart. So this was truly different for her, but it's a fantastic opener, in my opinion. Uh, It's a glorious opener. Um, It is an ingenious song and an ingenious opener, in my opinion, because of the way it's handled throughout. The first two lines of this song sang for me one listening for a gaga album right off the bat you're like what in the world and then on top of that for me she sounds like bob dylan for the first two or or very bob dylan-esque for the first two lines of this song almost in a slurred wild american type of vibe and then you go into a best of gaga throughout her career or or a from start to where we are throughout this whole entire song I mean, you you go from that Dylan Americana feel into almost just a stripped down drums, beats, solid pre-course, and then you're into like some EDM, like you're all over the bat, but it's definitely not those first two lines. You, 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 she caught you listening real fast and then brought you on this wild ride, autobiographical in its written sense. But for me, it was all encompassing in its musical sense really well done yes great way to put it and this is also where i'm going to mention now i did go to this tour nice and that this was the opener for the concert of course a fantastic concert opener and even i did see the chromatica ball as well and as much as i love chromatica no song on chromatica was going to be able to open a live show like diamond heart And that's why she didn't do it. Bad Romance opened the show, which seems a bit odd, but 
how are you going to top Diamond Heart as an opener? The only way you can go from there, I feel like, is ahead. Yeah. I feel like, because this one's hard to beat. And this is the first song on the album. I'm not going to list every single co-writer for every song, because I'll say this now. Every song is co-written by Mark Ronson. Most of them are co-written by Blood Pop. But there's some other players on here that are of note. And this one is Josh Home or Ham. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, but the dude yeah. from Queen of the Stone Age, right? Yes. And Eagles yeah. of Death Metal, which yeah, man. that was what got a lot of press when it came to the lead single. But I think that writers like him helped give this album some rock cred, which I think is what she was going for. And uh, I think they all really added to it. I'll say that now. Yeah, his guitar style is really awesome, and we see it throughout this album. Um, to have that, I even have it in my notes. Just uh, it adds a little bit of an intense level, uh, or uh, just a tad more intensity to to the level of the song. Really well done. Yes, and uh, Diamond Heart is definitely a tough act to follow. Not one you can crack, but well, it's the opener. We have to keep going. So. Track number two is Ayo, which the main writing trinity or trilogy of the M, whatever you want to call that. I don't know what I'm saying. I'm sorry, like, but Trinity's the way to go. I like that. Okay. So they wrote this song with Hillary Lindsay. And if you don't know her, she's one of Nashville's top songwriters. She has written as of right now 24 number one country hits. So big player in Nashville. Clearly, and uh, this is a very country-influenced song. It's also a little funky, but it's kind of a party song, and it's got that empowerment vibe, and I love this description of it most. This is from Gaga's Twitter, though I'm going to say right now I don't have Twitter anymore. I de deactivated my account because of Mr. Musk, but that's a different discussion. But she tweeted... Leaving your haters in the dust is a sexy feeling. Drag them like a smoke. Leave your blazing tracks in the road. Hashtag Ayo. And I think that's a perfect description. There you go. The dive bar pop country of this is perfected. And Blood Pop with his synthesizer stuff in the background, I really enjoyed it. It was a tad bit cookie cutter for me as far as on this Gaga album. But I, I have to say, that's not my first listen. That that would probably be third or fourth listen when I really was taken aback by this album. Um, or at first listen, it definitely held its own up there. Um, super catchy, super upbeat right off the bat. Um, again, something that I wasn't expecting from her. Um, and now knowing that it's more of a little bit of a country jump as we go through it, it's really neat to hear on this one um I, I, you want to talk about and we'll keep going back to it but that persona change this one it was the the first immediate persona change for me other than those dylan bars right at the start of the album it was a cool one ayo yeah and this was one of the really divisive ones, I remember, because people heard this song and thought, oh, Gaga's gone country, and no, 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 we can't have her go country, but this is not really a country album. It has elements of that, and I know Here. she has a cowgirl hat on the cover, but that does not make it a country album. So 
I think this is a song a non-country fan can enjoy. And because it is very catchy, this was originally planned to be the second single. However, Million Reasons got a lot of attention and it was decided, no, we have to make that the second single. And that ended up being a smart move. But I feel like they cut this era a bit short when it came to the singles. And I do think this still should have been the third single. And I feel like it could have had a really fun video too. Got you. I, I If I have to choose Million Reasons or this as a single though, I think I would choose Million Reasons. Oh, so would I. Heard, but heard. I would have put this after Million Reasons. I feel like this would have been like a good song of the summer for her kind of thing. And I feel like it could have just been a fun. Uh, I feel like it could have had a chance and crossed her over to another crowd. And I feel like, again, a really fun video, too. So Agreed. I just would have moved it down. But I think they cut this era kind of short for a variety of reasons. But we're not there quite yet. So. Yeah, it charted weird too, and maybe that is the deal behind it, you know? Didn't this one chart like 54 or something like that? It charted at 66 initially, but it Oof. was just a promo single, though. It didn't get uh, the full push. Got you, got Million you. Million Reasons did do better as a promo single, but it still didn't get the full push, so you can't entirely determine it, though it is helpful, but... Heard. And, uh, I mean, well... They made an even bigger mistake with not making Sour Candy a single off Chromatica. I'm still a little salty about that because that definitely would have been a hit, but... Tell them how you feel. <laughs> <laughs> it charted so well and they didn't put out a single come on. What are you doing? But Heard that. that's another <laughs> issue, I guess. <laughs> so we're going to move on to the title track, track number three. It's called Joanne. And uh, this is for Gaga the centerpiece of the album. So uh, for those who don't know, Joanne is the name of Lady Gaga's aunt, who she never met. Um, her aunt Joanne died at the age of 19 in 1974 from complications from lupus. It wasn't a disease that much was known about. And so Gaga never met her aunt, but she heard a lot about her and always felt influenced by her for whatever reason. And in fact, Gaga's middle name in real life is Joanne. So she was partially named after her aunt. So there was always a connection there for her. And she really wanted to know more about her aunt. And her aunt was also an artist and writer. So she really spoke to young Stephanie Germanata as she was known at the time. And so she really wrote this song to commemorate that. And uh, this song plays a very key role in the Five Foot Two documentary because you see Gaga go to her grandmother's home with her dad and she plays her this song. And uh, it's pretty interesting to see the reaction. And the grandmother's obviously from a different time. So she's kind of like, we kind of move on and pretend as if life is as normal as possible. I love this because she admits it's a beautiful piece, but she says, now don't get too maudlin over this. <laughs> but I do agree this is a beautiful piece. It has a really nice spare acoustic arrangement and uh, it's 
very heartfelt, I feel. I don't think it's cloying in any way. I don't feel like she gets too overly sentimental. I think it's a really nice song. I'm not sure I would have named the album after it. I think Joanne's kind of an odd album title. I would have called the album Diamond Heart, actually, but that's just me. You make a good point there with the Diamond Heart, but you know, now knowing that I knew that it was her aunt that had passed. I didn't realize it was that far back, but knowing that that was her true inspiration and also or one of her inspiration pieces. And then now knowing how much she was struggling with almost quitting music and whatnot, I think it seems a little bit fitting. This song, it's a beautiful song. It, it is indeed. To imagine sitting down and writing and recording this song at Rick Rubin's Shangri-La is goosebump inducing it mind-blowing when I when I saw or when I've read um Ronson talk about them and then realized that they were doing it at Shangri-La I oh my gosh and and I can only imagine sitting there and and doing music period but I really think the beauty of that comes through in a lot of these tunes. I dig Ronson. I mean, we talked about Ronson back on the the Winehouse stuff, yes. you know. Um, I I dig him. Period, and it was it was neat to see. But I, I enjoyed Joanne. It it is uh, it's it's a beautiful song. She plays guitar on that. Do you know? I'm not quite sure. It's picked so beautifully. I love the way it's played. It inspired me to pick it up. I want, I want to pick it up and learn it. That's a good song. Yeah. And she did release this as a single a year after the album came out. And she did a piano version, which makes sense because the piano is her Heard. main instrument. She's classically trained on it. Heard. And I honestly prefer the album version, but that's just me. And uh, the piano version actually won a Grammy for Best Pop Solo Performance, which is good. Uh, but I would like to believe it's consolation for her having lost a year before. But we'll get to that. Don't you worry. <laughs> I have a thought on that one. But <laughs> there is a bit of a sad postscript to this song and album that I feel like this is the time to mention it. So when she did press for Chromatica, Gaga talked about how she really wanted this album to give her some catharsis and maybe help her family, specifically her dad. And hmm. she actually had to admit it really didn't quite do that for her in the way she expected. And uh, I don't think she dislikes this album at all, but I do think that she doesn't look back on it as fondly as a result of that because she didn't get exactly what she wanted out of it. And uh, she actually said making Chromatica really helped her with that. And that's a much more traditional sound because that's a dance album. That was her going back to the kind of music she'd done. But it wasn't all lost because Blood Pop produces every song on that album. So they started their work together here. So it wasn't all for nothing, but... She did also admit, however, that she didn't think A Star Is Born would be possible without this album. So, Oof. 
No, stealing my words there. It, 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 it was like the whole way through this album. I had to go look at the years and whatnot just to make sure my brain wasn't malfunctioning. But that's a great point right there. That's a great point. Yeah. And she said it herself. So. Heard. And so, again, that's kind of the comment about this kind of being a double-edged sword. Is it a disappointment or is it a success? Yeah. As far as as music goes, that's that double, not to steal that from you just saying it, but that that double-edged sword of when you're really looking to let it all out and you're like, you know what, this is the album where I'm going to cry and, and uh, you know, a real cathartic element and you don't get it it's not so much frustrating, but you still got all that there. So it's good to see that she went on to do something where she could let it all out, you know? And maybe it makes, or it does. For me, I think it makes a little bit more sense because this is the album where they were trying to switch her around, you know? They were trying to to almost market her as somebody else. Now, I'm not, I'm not sure if you can market her without her letting you but you know they they were moving her in a different direction so if she wasn't being a hundred percent herself uh then that makes sense that that she didn't get that release but at least she gave us some some great music you know i i think she did and honestly in a situation like that it's so tragic that her aunt died so young heard and that's unfortunately the kind of situation that you'll you'll never fully get answers for she won't ever fully get answers for because she wasn't even alive at the time and uh, i mean i'm sure that affected her family a lot through their whole life but who knows what the answer is to that that's uh, up to you to as much as it can be but that's not something that would ever go away i would imagine to lose someone so tragically at such a young age specifically a relative but I think this is a very nice tribute to her aunt anyway. And fortunately, we do pick things up and get into a more lighthearted place, which I think is a good thing. I think we need that after the title track. Um, the next song is John Wayne, which is Gaga talking about an ideal man because she's sick of who she's seen. She's sick of their city games. So she's hung up on John Wayne, the archetypal American hero, I guess you could say, in the minds of many. And uh, this one, I've always enjoyed this one. I've always thought it was one of the most fun songs on the album. Always really enjoyed listening to it. It's definitely a bit more reminiscent of uh, her earlier songs a bit in, in terms of its lyrical content, I think. And even its sound a little bit. I feel like this is kind of a good combination of this new Joanne sound we're doing and previous Gaga, vintage Gaga, I guess you could say. And I think it's a pretty neat combination of it. This is one that I used to like more than I do now, admittedly, because since this album came out, I've explored the rest of the discography and we got more stuff after this. We got two albums after this, so... I wouldn't call this one of her all-time best, but I do think it's a fun, quirky song that only she could do, frankly. And yeah, I've always liked John Wayne. Yeah, I'm I'm glad to hear you say that because as far as feeling the old Gaga in there, 
because for me, and I did a lot of back and forth on this in my notes and how I wanted to present it here in the podcast. But for me, this is the full thought, the full gaga thought, follow me, that you got in AO. AO for me had a little bit of unfinished thought. But when you look at John Wayne, for me, this is like the gaga out AO. Uh, if that makes sense, this one, this one hits all, it checks all the, the Gaga boxes for me. And I almost feel like they're, they're very close to being, I don't ever want to say the same song. They just have a very similar sound. One feels a little bit like someone's pushing the sound. And then when we get to John Wayne, I shouldn't say one. AO felt like it was the sound was pushed a little bit and a little bit country pop on purpose. And then I feel like when we get to John Wayne, it's just fully realized and and, and produced very well. Admittedly, yes. But I think the main difference between this and AO is, I mean, admittedly, AO is not the most authentic Lady Gaga we're used to. I think this is closer to that. And she actually, even though this wasn't a single, she had a full video to go with it, and it was much more of a spectacle than she had done with the previous videos. And I mean, I think it's cute, I guess, but I'm not going to like, here's my hot tea take. As much as I enjoy her music, I'm not the biggest fan of her videos. That was a big point with me early on with her because I thought this is so pretentious and stupid and why are we doing this? And especially with all the plots, and her videos are not ones that I go back to. I know a lot of people do enjoy them, and she is in many ways a visual artist, but not one of my favorite video artists. I'm not going to lie, though I still do love her, but just going to say that now. And uh, now we're going to move on to track number five, Dancing in Circles. This one was co-written by Beck of loser fame so who'd have thought ever lady gaga and back had no idea well first listen through there's no way i would have said beck was on this but that's beck you know beck would do that on his own albums to me he's he's all over the board uh, you know the the public gets this very radio view of beck but if you listen through his discography Whoo, man, Beck's all over. And some stuff is a super hit, and some stuff for me is a super miss. Uh, so, yeah, I would have had no idea Beck was on this if you didn't tell me. Yeah, but he, he sure is. And this is interesting because it explores a topic Gaga had explored previously, but in the context of this album, this is about self-pleasure <laughs> and... Uh, that's what I'm going to say on this podcast. If you know, you know. Um, but <laughs> she done a song about this before on the Fame Monster called So Happy I Could Die. And that was uh, that early Gaga dance pop sound uh, of that album because that's what she was doing then. And this is uh, that topic done Joanne style. But... I like the Joanne style. This is another one I really enjoyed a lot. I think that it's a fun song and it was really fun when she did it live because she even introduced and teased it with like speaking top down, let's boots while I beat around. She was really <laughs> playing everybody along to do it. It was so crazy, but she did it and it was 
fun. I don't think this was one of the songs everybody went crazy for, admittedly, because it wasn't a hit, but I think this is a fun, quirky little song. Um, Again, this is another one I don't like quite as much as I used to because we've gotten more since, but I think this is a fun song. I heard. Uh, live, for, and, and this is no takeaway from it because I guess I'll do that before. It, it's a cool fun song dance song it's a solid song but live i would think that if she didn't it's a way missed opportunity to either segue or mix up with alejandro because the first time i heard this i swear to god i had to like jump up to the computer real quick and be like wait a minute what i thought it had random over and it was alejandro and there's so much alejandro in this I think she might have done Alejandro right after this song at the show. I'm going to look up the set list to be 100% sure. I'm going to I'm going to say that if if she did, of course she's a genius. If she didn't missed opportunity. <laughs> but oh. seriously, there's a lot of Alejandro in this for me and that was the only not again not to take away from the song. It was just the it was really Alejandro heavy in my brain when I listened to it uh it, it's a, it's a good track yeah um no she didn't it was i got switched up she did paparazzi after this song i heard that heard she that. did alejandro much earlier in the show actually she did it after <laughs> shice from born this way but <laughs> <I> heard that. <laughs> i will say she does a good job mixing the hits and the album at her concert i will give her a lot of credit for that i mean when i went to chromatica she did so many of her biggest hits and she still did all but two songs off of the album so she there knows how to do that gotta give her credit for that so <laughs> but okay yeah dancing in circles but oh the next one we might be talking about for a while because <laughs> the lead single perfect illusion this one was co-written by tame impala who I don't think it's put anything out in a while, but at this time, he was super hot. I remember, like, he was the shit in college when I was in college. I know he just toured two years ago because one of my best buds went and saw the show twice and said it was a banger. I don't know if they dropped or he dropped an album for that but it was insane the stories i heard about that it was really the first time that i went to listen because of of my buddy being like yo i just went to one of the craziest shows i've ever been to in my life he's it, always done a good job you know yeah. as far as if you look back at it yeah but i remember him being really big at this particular point in time is just I, what i recall but that's just me this was six years ago so anyway yeah, this is a dance song, but it has very heavy rock elements to it. And it has a guitar from Josh Hom. And I remember that was the note about it was the guitarist from the Eagles of Death Metal did a guitar solo on it. And it was like, what's that doing on a Lady Gaga song? Which <laughs> was something to think about. It's like, who would have thought Death Metal and Gaga go together? But they did. And I thought they did it beautifully because... I was obsessed with this when it came out. This was my most played song of 2016 by far. I could not stop listening to it. I couldn't get enough of it. 
Unfortunately, not everybody shared my enthusiasm because this is actually her least successful lead single still. It debuted and peaked at 15 on the Hot 100. I don't agree with that. It should have been number one for weeks, but <laughs> just my opinion. Um, however, I kind of also like that it wasn't huge because that made it feel a bit more special to me. It's like that was my Gaga song. It wasn't everybody else's. Like the world can have just dance, bad romance. I have perfect illusion. And I still do. Um, I mean, for a good while, I would have blankly said if somebody asked me my favorite Gaga song, my answer just would have been perfect illusion. Actually, there you go. I could not get enough of this. And it's a short song. It's only three minutes. But, oh, man, love this song. However, uh -oh. it is a bit of an odd fit on this album. And... I think it's too good of a song to not put on an album, but I feel like it should have been moved earlier in the album. I think this should have followed Diamond Heart. That's my only complaint with it. I don't think it's quite the best. But honestly, this probably wouldn't have sounded too out of place on Born This Way, but still really love the song, though. What do you think of it? I think, one, that hot take isn't as hot as you think it is because when you said very close to perfect gaga i agree with you wholeheartedly um so as far as this one being on this album it is a very gaga song to be on this album on this persona change album um this is also one of the very few not very few but few times where after my notes of first listen i go and dive in and find people agree with what I think sometimes. <laughs> uh, my original notes for my first listen to this song were so powerful voice-wise, but with exclamations, I have no auto-tune and that key change. And for me, this is one, and then I go back and it's literally in the wiki, like no auto-tune here, look at this. This is one of the perfect examples in my mind uh, that show if you've got this powerful voice, if you've got this voice that can do it, you don't need that auto-tune. And sometimes, even if it might fit the song, that untouched voice has such a beautiful power. And, and that sings through in Perfect Illusion for me. And when you say Perfect Gaga, I say, there you go. And, and for me, that's the reason why, um, because of that. And that key change, man, that key change might as well just pump everybody up immediately and it's so perfectly placed good song i'm sorry great song i'm with you on i don't know if this one was for this album this one you said it perfectly it, it, it could have been on another album and and crushed out it, and for it to be a flop as far as not hitting and not, not a flop but uh, you know uh uh not hitting number one and, and running away with it I think it's because it was here with this and it might not have found as many ears as it should have. I mean, I definitely agree. It didn't find as many ears as it should have. Yeah. Um, yeah. Speaking to the point of the no auto tune, I actually, that was one thing I really liked about the song because I thought that was smart of her because another thing when she first started out, I kind of thought, well, it's all auto-tuned. She can't be that good of a singer if it's all auto-tuned. There's nothing natural. Because, I mean, poker face, she sounds like a robot. 
Heard. And that was part of the point, but that was also our introduction to her for May, because that was her second ever single after Just Dance. So for her to do the raw voice here, I think was important. And I'm really glad that she did, because she showed, yeah, I actually do have the pipes, even though I use auto-tune at times. When I heard this, it reminded me of when you sent me that bar footage of her doing Zeppelin and oh, how yeah. much I loved her voice on that and how much it wasn't Lady Gaga and, or, you know, it wasn't that high level pop art Gaga that everybody equates. Um, so it was cool to hear that voice again, um, especially showcased here without that auto tune. Yeah, and also a great precursor to the Star is Born, frankly. Yeah, again, again. <laughs> that, shoof, you know, we, you, you, we opened with such a great, uh, you know, back and forth thought of flop or not, but like another one to keep in mind throughout this album is, is this the one that sank her right into that role? I, I have to agree, you know, I have to say yes at this point. <laughs> Was a Star Born with Lady Gaga without this album? Eesh, I don't know. Maybe. But I don't know. Yeah, who knows? I mean, unfortunately, I'll say this. I don't know when the deal exactly was made for her to star in the movie. But right. I think this album helped make it possible for her to be convincing in the movie. Because uh, I'm going to say this. She's fantastic in the movie. And, well, I'll say it now. She wasn't that fantastic in uh, House of Gucci. Sheesh. I, I still haven't seen that. I do want I, to see I it. didn't think it was that good. And I mean, she's Italian, yet she sounds Russian. What's that all about? I, I don't get it. But, <laughs> and everybody, I'm sorry, another hot tea take, another thing. A bunch of people said she was so amazing in American Horror Story, and she literally played Lady Gaga. You do know that, right, people? <laughs> I mean... Uh, Lady Gaga's killed people in her music videos before, so wasn't that much of a stretch, but that's a Gaga hot tea take I had. I enjoyed it, but she played the Lady Gaga that we know and love, who kills people on TV, because she did it before, frankly. I mean, the fucking telephone video, that whole diner dead because of those sandwiches her and Beyonce made. That was a weird <laughs> fucking video, by the way. Ugh, but what do you expect? Of course, she played herself, but that's my take on it. A Star is Born is great, though, so... There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I just had to say that I haven't gotten to share that thought recently, but I wanted to. Now... We're on to the big one. We've mentioned the song already, but now it's actually time to talk about it. Million Reasons. The song that gave many of us a million reasons to love her, I think. <laughs> yeah. So, or at least a million reasons to go back and listen to this album, you know? <laughs> yeah. For a lot of people. Oh, yeah. Definitely. So, Hillary Lindsay co-wrote this song, too. And it has that country-ish vibe to it. But yeah, this is a heartbreak ballad. That's what it is. It's like, you've given me all these reasons. I need to move on. This isn't right anymore. But if you give me one good one to say, I'll come back. And uh, she even said in the Five Foot Two documentary, you really have to go to heartbreak to write songs. And uh, she said that as she was recording the song, you see the footage of her doing it. And... Uh, 
this one, it's so powerful every time. I mean, I've heard it many times at this point, but it still gets me just, uh, this is pure singer-songwriter goodness. The lyrical details cut, I mean, come on, to cut through all this worn out lever, if I had a highway, I would run for the hills. Just this perfect imagery, like the best singer-songwriters do. This puts her in that league, and this is her best moment with that. And uh, I don't think we have a Star is Born specifically without this song, because uh, after you write a song like this, you've tapped into that. Hey. And uh, she did it again. And this wasn't the first ballad she'd ever done. I mean, before we had Speechless and You and I, but those aren't really breakup ballads. This was her perfecting that heartbreak song. And she did it perfectly. She always had it in her, but this was that moment for her to do it. And uh, I mean, what a song. What a song. Lyrically on paper, just reading through what she has written and how well it's written uh, is phenomenal in itself. Um, you know, the way that she uses a million reasons and then does iterations of what the reasons are for throughout there, you know, as she hammers home the million reasons. Um, I it's it's genius. This song is really, really up there in my in my music appreciation across the board but as far as gaga this song is up there uh really well done oh yeah this is a gaga classic i mean i think even the people who aren't big fans of this album can bow down to million reasons and say no it's a great song this is part of her canon now and it was the encore for the joanne tour it had to be of course so there you go this was first a promotional single, and uh, it charted at 54 at first with that run. And when it was first the second single, because people immediately said, oh, my goodness, this is the song. And it was the single. And I remember she did it on TV at the American Music Awards. Great. Still didn't get the traction that it should have, but I heard it in Italy. So it's like, OK, it's a hit somewhere, just. Not in the U.S., but then first week in the February Super Bowl halftime show, we've got Lady Gaga powering through her early hits. I had to rewatch this halftime show, but she went bam, 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 bam. Poker face, born this way, telephone, just dance, all those early bangers that she put out. And then she goes to the piano and starts playing and all the lights up in the stadium. and. Uh, she gives us this ballad in the middle of all of that, and she just stopped the show. She shut it all down, and I'm getting teary-eyed thinking about it because it was such a powerful moment, and that is a television moment I will always remember seeing Lady Gaga sing Million Reasons at the Super Bowl. I mean, oh my goodness. And I remember going on Twitter, seeing people talking about the halftime show, and so many people were like, oh, Lady Gaga, like, I love this song. But, and one girl I followed, she just didn't get, she said, Gaga, leave this Joanne shit at home. Oh, when come she on. was doing this, I was like, how can you say that? She's killing it. It was amazing. And then she ended it with a bang with Bad Romance, and that one everybody went up. They're like, oh my goodness, Bad Romance, which 
yeah, she killed that one too. That was a showstopper. But <laughs> Million Reasons was the new song for a lot of people. The others were songs that had been out for over five years at that point. People knew them already. She did this new song and immediately people were buying it. People were streaming it. And it had fallen off the Hot 100, but it re-entered the next week at number four because people immediately went gaga for it. As they should have. <laughs> As they should have. Especially after that performance. Yeah. And with that performance, I think she had at least one silver lining for this era. I would argue that moment alone made this era a success. I, yeah, I don't think anybody would argue with you um, <laughs> because that that moment literally made people turn back around and, and pick up this album, you know? So this era, this if you want to say this Joanne era, yes, that was a defining moment in this Joanne era or this Gaga era. And also, this is a usual tactic for Super Bowl. This isn't uncommon. The tour was announced right after it. And smart move. And of course, after everybody watched her kill it, they were like, oh my goodness, we have to go. And I was one of those people. I couldn't find anybody to go with me, but I went to the Joanne tour and I said, no, after that performance, I have to go see her live because that was incredible. And uh, I will say overall, the whole tour didn't have quite the power of the Super Bowl performance. But then again, it was a bit longer, but still a very enjoyable concert, of course. So great. So great. It's so neat to hear you tell these stories because I've always just taken for granted that you were Gaga from the get-go. Gaga from the get-go, there you go. <laughs> but uh, it's neat to hear you tell these stories and, and know that this is ground-level Gaga for you. It's very cool, very cool. Yeah. <laughs> Who'd have thought this surprised people I knew, but this is, uh, this is the Gaga I was first in love with, was Joanne go. Gaga. So, there you go. <laughs> and, I fucks with this Gaga. That's real. So do uh, I. Uh, so do I. And I also like that the video is kind of a sequel to the Perfect Illusion video. I didn't really talk about that. The Perfect Illusion video is most notable for the breakneck editing and cameos from Bronson and Tame Impala. But yeah, there was one scene said to induce epilepsy, and I can definitely see why, because, oh, it was rough. I heard that. But no more videos or singles at this point. We're in the home stretch now, and we're on to track eight, Sinner's Prayer. This was co-written by Thomas Brennick and Father John Misty. And uh, for me, this three-song run is the trinity of the album. Perfect Illusion, Million Reasons, and Sinner's Prayer. I have always loved this song. And even more so than Million Reasons, I don't like it as much arrangement-wise, power-wise, but lyrically alone, just lyrically, this is my favorite song in that regard on the album because it's just all those beautiful little details in there and just the overall message. It's like, hear my sinner's prayer because she said, like, I am not perfect. You know, may not be flawless, but I got a diamond heart. We're going back to that. <laughs> And uh, she's just really going there with it. And I really like that she went into that. And uh, I mean, especially I come from a Catholic background. I know you do too. I think this song spoke to me a bit more so 
on that level. I mean, I'm not going to say I had this specific experience, but, you know, hear my sinner's prayer, I am what I am. That's just a great, beautiful motto and message, in my opinion. Even though in this song, she's like having a dangerous love affair. I can't say I've had one of those, (laughs) but it's just truly a really beautiful piece, in my opinion. It is a beautiful piece. You talk about Catholic upbringing, um, and then in the same mouthful, we were just talking about her genius as a writer um, in Million Reasons. But when you when you look at what she was doing here, she's tapping into uh, Old Testament, New Testament, whatever testament you want want to say. She's tapping into biblical references and popping them in throughout this, um, not in a push it down your throat but as a beautiful way to back up this prayer thought as she as she's writing and penning this uh it's a beautiful song i i love the way this one is put out i agree with you these three songs are very super strong on the album and i was surprised going into research for this because across the board it looks like million reasons was what people were saying is like the most country influenced song and for me sinner's prayer really hits the country level uh in 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 my opinion like it like with the tambourines and just the the simpleness of it it really reminds me of an old um, i'll even go on like an old country slash gospel you know just one of those good old country uh prayer songs and I, I really enjoyed it not so much just for that right but it's it's an all in all a well-rounded song yeah this is very americana folk to me and i would say classic country this is not modern Clint. country we we tapped into modern country earlier on with ayo and even million reasons a little bit but this is the classic country sound. This is, uh, we're going back to the outlaw, early Dolly Parton, Loretta Lynn. Yeah. We're, we're going to that sound here. That's what this is to me. And I think it's just beautiful. And uh, she kills this one, always has for me. It's as good as gold, as she says many times in the song. <laughs> That's a perfect way to put it. Good as gold. Good as gold. Yes, what a great song. But, well... Now we're on to the next one. Let's see if this one's good as gold. Come to Mama. This one was co-written by Emil Haney, who not much of a rock background, much more of an R&B hip-hop background. His most notable credits at this point were on Bruno Mars's Unorthodox Jukebox album and Lana Del Rey's Born to Die, which are both very hip-hop influenced and classic soul in the case of Bruno. I mean... This man did give us Locked Out of Heaven, which is a great song right there. But this is kind of the accepted social song. I feel like this is kind of written towards her fans because they refer to her as Mother Monster. Okay. Because uh, they're the little monsters. I've never called myself a little monster. I can't bring myself to do that because, well, I wasn't there from the beginning. I don't feel right saying it because I was not there from the beginning. However, I could really tell she wanted this to be an anthem when I went to the Joanne tour because she came to like the B stage, had her hand waving up, like she really wanted everybody to get into it. And I'm not gonna lie, because she did it right in between hits, 
it kind of fell flat because it's like you do that right after applause, which is a total banger, and then you follow it with a Edge of Glory on the piano, which is beautiful, and that's a classic in its own right. Um, this one, I love the musical arrangement of it. It's very soulful. This is one where I love the parts of it, but it just doesn't all the way add up for me. That's this is the one for me in that case. I can see where you're coming from on this. It's a really beautiful composition. Um, I, you know, I thought she was talking about God as a woman uh, of the come to mama as far as preaching peace uh, and being like love one another golden rule type stuff. So I, I listened to it as more of a come to God type of song. It's neat. I love both takes, but so uh, you, you're right. There's something about this one that is beautifully written, but it just doesn't fire on all cylinders for me as a listener. It doesn't hold and captivate me throughout the listen, even though it's a beautifully written and well composed song. You know what I'm saying? It has a lot of work to do coming off the last three and unfortunately, it, on a very, very small margin, drops the ball just a tad going forward. I would have to agree with you on that. Yeah, so sorry, Mama, but you're <laughs> not the one we'll be coming to again and again. We'll be coming back to the sinner's prayer, I'm afraid, more than you. Sorry. <laughs> but now we're on to our penultimate track of the standard edition. The superstar duet of the album, Hey Girl. This features Florence Welch of Florence and the Machine, um, somebody known for having quite dynamic vocals in her songs. That, that's a goddamn understatement, and you know it. <laughs> uh, yes. she, is a, she is a queen bee killer of all vocal females, straight up and down. Oh, my gosh. I love me some Florence, my bad. <laughs> I can tell. I can tell. I've always liked the name Florence. I all the Florences I've heard of, I liked. Heard that, you know. Yeah, you ever seen Florence live? No. Oh, I've seen her three times. The top time ever I've seen her, she opened for you too, and she put her whole show on before the sun went down. And I don't even care because, like, that's how solid of a show it was. Uh, she's she's a wonder. I hope you get to see her live because. She is a wonder to see life. That, that whole show, my bad. I didn't mean to go out there on a, on a Florence tangent, but she is she's a killer. Well, no, I'm glad you said that. That gives me a better impression of her than this song does, I'm afraid. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is... Oh, a, no. Um, yeah, so I like the concept. It's a friendship song. It's about women sticking together, but these two just don't have duet chemistry, in my opinion. And I could have swore it's like they definitely recorded this in different rooms. And then you see in the documentary, no, they recorded it together. And I'm like, well, that just makes it more disappointing. They have no chemistry. I mean, yeah. Madonna and Prince had more duet chemistry and they didn't record together. How's that possible? I don't, oh, and I don't hate this song. I don't think it's horrible. It's just a filler track but it shouldn't be because these are two dynamos of singers and 
for that, you kind of want to have an epic song and it's got that kind of underwhelming feel to it. Though, then again, I think throughout the history of pop music, when you have two powerhouses come together for a duet, it often ends up being underwhelming. I think yeah. we've seen that many times because just nobody can reach that expectation. But what I do think Gaga actually did with um, Rain on Me with Ariana Grande, that's a fantastic, beautiful dance tune right there. But yeah, Hey Girl just kind of is there for me. I've never really liked this one a whole lot and uh, yeah this is the gun to the head least favorite for me even with this listen through I didn't find a new appreciation for it and I think a lot of people felt disappointed by this song and uh, I do think the expectations were close to impossible admittedly having both of these women record together but it didn't even come close in my opinion this just was a big swing in the miss for me yeah, I, as much as I super wanted to love this song because I, I even get some Prince vibes. I automatically want to do some Michael Jackson slash Prince. And they even do it early on like a hoo-hoo. The first time I let Chance hear this, uh, he, he, actually, he wasn't even actively listening. I was in the kitchen. I had it on and... I heard him in the other room be like, hee hee hee. And I was like, I know, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to get down on this. But them coming together, even though it was a self-imposed pairing because Gaga chose and said, you know, like I, I wanted to have, or it felt like I should have a, I don't want to misquote her. Long story short, she picked her for this because it felt right for the album, uh, having a female duo. As far as putting them together, on this track though it does unfortunately fall short because it never you're totally right it never just is on the same level um you know even having florence sing the first hey girl she takes it on a florence trip and it's not on gaga it's not gaga has a great voice she has a wonderful voice florence has a wonderful voice too but they're just paired up in the wrong way on this one. You're, I, I'm totally with you on the fact that it just falls so short because it, it just never really comes together. And I wanted it to like to have them together. I was like, let's do this. This is going to be amazing. And unfortunately it just ends up not being as amazing as we thought it was going to be, <laughs> but you're right. The powerhouses come together like that. And there's huge, expectation and and it's just sometimes it just doesn't work out you know yeah this is one of those cases yes <laughs> but you know what i say only up from here and uh, now we are on to the closing track of the album the standard edition that is we have a couple bonus tracks to get to but the closing track is angel down and this one you won't believe the co-writer of this song with Lady Gaga is not Ronson or Blood Pop. It is Red One, the producer of her early hits. Same guy who did Just Dance and Bad Romance co-wrote this. And that's pretty shocking to think about because this is not like any of his other songs at all. This is a mostly piano ballad and it is about social justice this song 
Gaga wrote the song in reference to the shooting of Trayvon Martin in 2012. And uh, first off, I do want to give her some props for that because sadly, I really hate to say this, she was a bit ahead of the curve on that statement. And uh, realistically, we all should have been there and could have done better in the past. Uh, let's not kid ourselves. We all still have work to do, but we definitely could have done better in the past. But I do think she was ahead of the curve on that. So uh, there's that. Um, I have always enjoyed this song. I think it was a gutsy song to write, and I think it's great that she did it because we're not going to get any change without writing songs. You know, if you're a musician, that's how you communicate your ideas to the world. And you're not going to get anywhere if you don't say anything. And she did, and lots of credit to her for that. I enjoy the song. It's very well composed. I do think there is a bit of a disconnect, and that's simply for the fact that Lady Gaga is a white woman because she is seeing it from this outsider point of view, and that's a, a valid point of view. It's great that she is putting herself in the conversation. We all need to be in the conversation. And she gives us these great lines like shots were fired on the street by the church where we used to meet and great image, great picture. That is uh, not quite the Lady Gaga reality. Lady Gaga grew up in a working class New York family. She didn't have uh, the experience of uh, these African-American teenagers. It, not to say that I do either. I'm not the best person to be critiquing this. I give her a lot of credit for doing it. And like I said, we're not going to get anywhere if we don't do it. So I like the song, but there's just something missing a bit for me. And I think that's it. But I still think it's great that she did it, if that makes sense. It, it makes sense. It makes sense. I don't know if that took it away from me because I still feel like there's something missing there. You might have a great thought to start on there as far as that maybe that's what it is a little bit displaced i just i was actually surprised that that song finding out that that song was written about what it was written about um again the first listen i did not realize that that's what that song was for and i went back and and really gone through it four or five times now and it, there's just something it doesn't it, you're right. It doesn't hit the way you think a protest song or a song protesting something like that would hit. You want to talk about a bold statement. For me, it's not so much of the Trayvon part of it. It's that you would end this album with this. Uh, it, it, it's, it's a very somber ending for, for the most part, some an album that's been pretty upbeat and it's not that somber ending that leaves you with like a ah feeling so it's a it's a very in my opinion it's a very strange choice uh to end this album on i agree with you but i also don't know where else in the album they would have put it i'm not going I, to lie to you i almost went forward and, and was like look maybe this is the track that you put in the bonus stuff on the extended I'm not saying you end it on. Hey, girl. Not, 
I'm not saying yeah, I'm not saying you ended on the hey girl, but you know what? I I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but you could have put Grigio girls here and Grigio girls for me. I'm not even going into what it's about, okay? Because not I'm not yet. trying, yeah. yeah, and I'm not trying to take away from the message that she was trying to put out here. But I'm saying from a music standpoint, from a listener standpoint, musically, and for you know what we try to do all the time is 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 say maybe this would work better here, maybe this would work better there. I think you put Grigio girls up here, it'd work better as an ender, and you know, and it would would be maybe taken a little bit better. I don't disagree with you. And I think the overall issue is I thought about this a bit more now. This kind of social commentary is just not quite in Gaga's wheelhouse. I think she writes great songs about other aspects of it. She can write great when it comes to gay rights, women's rights. That's in her wheelhouse. Mental health, really in her wheelhouse. She's written brilliant songs about that. But this just isn't quite it. And that's not entirely her fault because it's not her experience. Songwriters are usually best when it comes to singing about their own experiences. And uh, I think that's uh, the issue here because it's not just her. That applies to many of her artists as well, yeah. I think. Yeah, again, taking nothing away from what she's trying to say. I totally agree with, with you there. Just not necessarily the one that hits the best as far as her talking about things yeah and so interestingly so this is the only song from this album that was performed at all on the chromatica ball tour <laughs> not at the show i went to i think it was not long after the show i went to she replaced one um she replaced a thousand doves from chromatica with this song and well i'm just glad i got a thousand doves because that's a beautiful song too and a beautiful live moment as well. And I heard Angel down on the Joanne tour, but I like a thousand doves better, but that's getting a bit off topic, of course. But <laughs> I just thought that was interesting. I mean, I'm sure she did it for a reason because she wanted to share this message with people. It's an important message. It most definitely is. Of course. But I mean, Okay, this is an album I think is very overrated. Maybe I won't think so with another listen, but I do. Beyonce's Lemonade also came out in 2016, and that was an album that really had race as a central theme. And I think a big part of what was effective about it was because Beyonce is a Black woman, and she's gotten to a point in her career where she's not just the pop star. She unapologetically puts out these songs about being a Black woman. She's very proud of it. She doesn't hide it. And that's also featured on the latest Renaissance album of hers. And I'm not the biggest fan, but I did enjoy quite a bit of that album. And it's just more powerful coming from a Beyonce than Lady Gaga. I think that's my main thing with it. It's just, that's the issue with it. Something about police brutality to me is more powerful coming from a Beyonce or a Janet Jackson or whoever you want to say it is than Lady Gaga. It's, it's okay. So that's the ender of the standard edition. And now we're on to the bonus tracks. And the first one's the one you mentioned already, Grigio Girls. This is about Gaga's Girl Squad. Um, 
She specifically was inspired by her friend Sonia Durham, who was an employee of hers too, who she was very, very close with. And uh, at the time this song came out, Sonia was still living. She was ill, but still living. Sadly, she's no longer with us. She died not long after this album was released at all. And uh, because of that, this song is now more poignant for me than it was when it came out. And uh, this is the one song I really didn't pay it much mind uh, when I first heard this album, when I first listened to it. But now I got a new appreciation for it with this listen through. And uh, I can kind of see why it's a bonus track, but I enjoyed it a lot more on this listen. It's not the most ecstatic song. I would think this could have been more of a party song, but that wasn't quite what she was going for. And now that I understand the backstory more and uh, the subject matter, I feel like it hits a bit differently. And uh, I have a new appreciation for Grigio Girls. It's a fired up world indeed. Yeah, it's, it's a neat song. Like you said, it's not, uh, you can see why it is a bonus track. And again, I reiterate, I wasn't saying the breast cancer is, is a higher priority. That's not where I was going. But as far as an album ender, this sort of happy, very close to melancholy, but still a pumped up song, uh, more of just um, really triumphing that friendship. And, and and the Grigio girls, period. Uh, I think it would have been a, a better ender than, than that. Uh, you know, I don't, I, I don't want to be on that for a million years, but I just want to say that. Uh, it's, it, it's cool. The way the song is set up is really approachable. Um, it's almost like a, a, a Pina Grigio, you know? It, it's a really accessible jam that is, uh, it's, it's, it's a girl's day out, you know? It, it, it's, it's a neat one. I, I enjoyed that one. Yeah, yeah, and no, I'm, we're not saying the breast cancer is the higher priority or anything. It's all sad and an issue, but it's more in her wheelhouse because this was a really close friend of hers who- Heard, heard. She was- seen die before her at this point in time that she was recording the album because in the documentary you actually see Sonia go to see her right before her halftime performance and at the end of it it says in memory of Sonia Durham because she succumbed to the disease so this one really meant a lot to her personally I could tell and I felt that when she performed it yeah even if you look back to what Bronson was saying to her in Shangri-La, he's quoted as saying, like, just go ahead and after they finish, Joanne, just go ahead and write whatever's happening in your life. So it, it really adds to that that point that you made like this. This just fit because it was her life, you know, and this could have worked out well and hit a little bit harder. You made a great point. I could talk about that for a minute. I like that. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. I'm making a lot of points today. This is going to be one of our longest ones yet, I think. Yeah, that's all right. That's all right. That's okay. Gaga, you gave us a lot to talk about. That's a good thing. <laughs> and so now we're on to the last full track on the album, Just Another Day. Gaga wrote this one all by herself, which is cool. 
And this one actually was apparently inspired by Bowie, which I really don't hear. I feel like this is much more Elton John inspired than David Bowie. Um, actually, the song this reminds me of the most is a really deep Gaga track. It's a bonus track on international editions of her first album. It's called Again, Again. It has that, again, that 70s piano rock vibe. That's what this really reminds me of. And I would call this a slice of life tune. I feel like that's what she's presenting to us. I think it's a pleasant song. I kind of wish I liked it more than I did, honestly. But it's a nice little tune. But interestingly, actually, at the Chromatica Ball show I went to in D.C., somebody came in with a sign with the lyrics to this song on it. Which go. I thought was interesting. If I, of all the songs, I wouldn't have ever thought Just Another Day would be the one with lyrics posted on it, but it was. I, I chuckle when you say, I wish I would like it I would, uh, more than I do, because I feel I felt exactly the same way. And then also going and reading about it and then going back and listening to it, I'm with you. I, it just... I mean, you can tell me that you did it, you wrote it inspired by Bowie, but I don't know if it sings Bowie out to me at all. Uh, actually, I do know it doesn't. <laughs> and yeah. uh, it's it's a cool little track. And it's it Slice of Life is a really awesome way to put it, too. It's just a cool track, you know? Uh, yeah, I think that's the best way to sum it up for me. I was looking for words to finish that off, and it's, I wish I liked this song more than I do. <laughs> you know, I mean, real. I've always <laughs> felt that way about this song. It was always one I wish I liked more, but still yeah. don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> heard, still heard. not my favorite. Sorry. And then the album ends with the demo of Angel Down, which has a really theatrical voice. I definitely prefer the version she went with on the album, but. It's... Do you see? I, I go the other way. I feel like this one bangs. Or oh. I won't say bangs, but I, I I feel like it does better than the other one. It doesn't waste time. It goes straight in. It's not orchestrated. I, it hits my ear harder than the other one does. And I think I like that more. I mean, it's a demo run, but it, it, it's, it, it was cool to see a different arrangement. I, I actually listened to this back and forth where I do like 30 seconds and go back uh, quite a few times just to really uh, solidify which one I preferred. And, and this one, I, I enjoyed more. The funniest thing about it to me is that Red One's the producer of it. We went from fucking bad romance to this. That's so crazy to me. <laughs> but hey, that's Red One for you, I guess. He changed his way. It was so funny. I was uh, kind of wondering, you know, I wonder whatever happened to Red One because he was just the sound of pop music for a few years. He had so many hits. And then a couple of years ago, Ava Max put out that song, uh, Kings and Queens. And I thought, Heard. you know, this sounds like a throwback song. It sounds like early Lady Gaga. And sure enough, the producer was Red One. There but you go. I thought... Hey, at least he's still around doing stuff. Good for you, Red One. You were a big part of my early teenage years. And thank you for that. Thank you for the bangers you gave us. There you go. There you go. Everybody's but, switching it up on this album. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so uh, that's Joanne for us. What grade do you give this album? 
I give it a B plus. Uh, this is a neat album for me. Um, I enjoyed listening to it. Thank you for this one. Uh, it wasn't an A for me or an A plus for a few reasons, but most the the top reason being it just never for me found its legs as a full album. We talked about the three song run, um, Diamond Heart. There, there's points in this album where I'm like, yeah, but it never taking stride and starting like we, we look for in these albums when we're grading it to front to back. It just didn't end up doing that for me. Um, so for that and a couple, not a million reasons, but a couple more <laughs> reasons, it doesn't, it ends up being a B plus for me. My grade is the exact same, B plus. <laughs> hey. uh, I mean, I do think it's a, solid body of work uh, no denying that um but i do think there are some filler tracks and i think there could have been some different things done maybe but i don't know what else they came up with during the sessions for the album so we don't know and uh, i also think now knowing more of the gaga discography i think there was better before this, most notably Born This Way and the Fame Monster EP. And then after this with A Star is Born and especially Chromatica. So, and uh, yeah, what's your favorite track on the album? Oh man, this is a tough one. I went back and forth a bunch. Uh, and originally, originally I was going to say, hey girl, believe it or not. <laughs> because it, this is first listen that was my my original notes and then as i went on through it it just couldn't make it up there for me um for me it's million reasons hands down uh the banger of this album i don't disagree my favorite is uh i mean i think i kind of already alluded to my favorite even though it doesn't fully fit on the album maybe my favorite's perfect illusion because it's such right. a banger a lot of good memories for me, but uh, as a representative of the album, I think a million reasons or Diamond Heart is much better in terms of that. But oh, perfect illusion! I love you so. <laughs> Our first Gaga album. Yes. Hey, if yeah. you like this, we can do more of them. So, <laughs> we can. We can do more Gaga. I I would not be opposed to that at all. <laughs> But it's just our first hover. We're going to move on to something else. Can you introduce uh, what we'll be doing next week? Yes, we're going to be doing Random Access Memories by a little duo called Daft Punk. And uh, it'll be the first time that we will be doing an album written solely by two aliens and two alien robots. So it'll be a, a neat take. Uh, it'll be neat to see how, how that works with us. Yes, yes. And uh, I'm interested because it's not an album I go in full, but it had one of the biggest hits of its time on it, one of the top songs of my high school years. So I'm excited to go back and listen to this whole thing and even delve into the bit of controversy with the Grammys with it. I'm very intrigued by that. So really looking forward to that. In the meantime, just follow the uh, 
podcast wherever you're listening to it and follow on social media, Facebook and Instagram at Turntables and Tea Podcast. And just give us a really nice review and tell all your friends to listen because we want you all to enjoy the tea that we spill here. So until then, don't get so lucky that you won't be able to listen next week. <laughs> Peace. Thank you.